This is Wake Up and Create. I'm Mark Kendall. From WABE and Creative Mornings Atlanta, we're going through our archives of talks focused on creativity, art, and business to start your week off with some motivation. Everyone you'll hear from was part of the Creative Mornings Atlanta Speaker Series, a live monthly event series that is still happening every month. Find all the details on our next event at creativemornings.com slash ATL or visit the link in our show notes. So this entire endeavor we call podcasting boils down to just one thing, conversation. The majority of podcasts out there are just folks having a conversation. And even those that aren't, Conversations were had in the background to make the show possible. It's an important skill in almost every aspect of our lives. If you've ever traveled to a place that you didn't know the language, you've experienced firsthand what it's like to not be able to have a conversation and how difficult that can make something like buying a loaf of bread. Okay, that might actually be like communication, but conversation is just the next step up from communication. And sure, maybe you managed to buy the loaf of bread, but without conversation, you'll never know that it was made from scratch by the cashier's 92-year-old grandma who has been waking up at 3 in the morning, every morning, to make fresh bread for the past 75 years. And in her off time, she's like training, you know, trying to go to the MBA because like dreams don't have to die. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's what we're going to be hearing about on the show today. No not the grandma that's 92, waking up early, baking bread, playing basketball. That was fictional. I'm talking about the art of conversation. All right, so I'm going to go make some toast from this extra special grandma loaf of bread, and then we'll be right back. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Our first speaker's career is built entirely on conversation. Being able to listen, react, and make sense of what someone else is saying. Celeste Headley has held down many jobs in public media from hosting to producing at Georgia Public Broadcasting to guest hosting at NPR in D.C. Here, Celeste shares her do's and don'ts of a good conversation. The one thing that I have been doing for almost 20 years now is having conversations. And I have conversations with presidents and with movie stars and kindergarten teachers and truck drivers and KKK members and billionaires. Um, I have conversations with people that I really like. I have conversations with people that I loathe on a visceral basis. I have conversations with people that I agree with. I have conversations with people that I could not disagree with more. But you know what? I always have a really good conversation. Always. 
it's possible. Now, the problem that's happening right now is we used to say that there's a couple subjects you stay away from when you're trying to be polite and have a good conversation, right? Politics and religion. The problem now is that everything is politics and religion. That's the problem. You can't steer away from those subjects because they're everything. You can't talk about your health. What did Henry Higgins say? Stick to the weather and your health? The weather? Really? You're going to talk about climate change and that's not going to lead to an argument? And your health? Seriously? Because anti-vaxxing is a thing. So that's the problem now. And, and so you can't avoid those conversations. The thing is, is that you have to learn how to have those conversations anyway, with respect for the other person. We are more polarized now than we ever have been since the Civil War. And think back for just a moment, because that means the Vietnam War, the Cold War era, we are more polarized. We are more likely to disagree with one another now than we were during the Red Scare. Okay? That's something to think about. The last time we were this polarized, the last time we disagree with each other this much, we were killing each other, literally. Also, we have learned that at least 20% of Americans would be really unhappy and possibly angry if someone from the opposite political party joined their family. And a third of us say that all of our friends agree with us politically. Now think about that for just a second. Number one, you're probably wrong. But number two, it means you're actually choosing your friends according to who agrees with you. Here's another thing that we all think, which is that we communicate a lot, and we do. There's a, a, a woman named Sherry Turkle who does some of the best research in um, the, the effects of technology on relationships. Um, and she talks about connection versus communication, because we're not actually communicating. We're connecting. We tweet, we Instagram, we Snapchat, we Tumblr, we Facebook. We do a ton of stuff. We're talking all the time, but we're not actually communicating with anybody. Face-to-face -face and even voice-to-voice -voice conversation is completely disappearing. I want you to stop for just a moment and think about how many times you had the choice between calling somebody at work or emailing and you just emailed, right? Who here would rather send an email than call on the phone? There are a couple really compelling reasons why it's important to get back to regular communication. Um, the first is a business reason. We lose $37 billion a year because of bad communication. And that's just, that's $26,000 per worker per year. And that's just if you survey the large corporations. It doesn't include the smaller businesses. So you do the math. I know it's early how much that would go higher if we did include them. The other thing is that good communication is actually really profitable. If you have a leader who's a good communicator, you have a 50% higher rate of returns than those whose leader is a bad communicator. But here's the reality check part of it. We do know that people report they'd rather do business with someone that they trust and that they like and that they can talk to. Total no-brainer. But get this part of it people would still rather do business with the person that they like, even if they know that the product is inferior and the price is higher. They'll still choose the person they can talk to. It puts a little bit of different context on the election of George W. Bush, because so many people talked about how they wanted to have a beer with him. That's how important that is to us as humans. Now, I'm using a lot of American statistics, but believe me, this is the whole developed world, and I assume that if we did great research in, in most parts of Asia 
or South America or Africa or some of the developing countries, we'd find really similar results. It's just that they're not as affected by technology as we did. The, the use of technology has just exploded. And the research on what that does to our brains is really lagging. We're only now beginning to figure out what it means to be sending this many texts and this many emails and not be speaking face to face. Young people, I'm not even talking millennials, I'm talking the next generation, which I don't even know what name we're on yet. Um, they are more likely to send texts and they send hundreds of texts per day than to speak to somebody face to face in a day's time. Which means they can go days without talking to someone on the phone or face to face. Okay, the other, the other reason why communication is really important is actually just a human one. Um, the University of Michigan compiled 72 different studies from all over the place. And this was really recent. This was, I think, maybe three years ago that they did this. And what they found is that empathy among human beings, among college students, has decreased by 40%, the ability to empathize with another person. And almost all of that decrease has happened since the year 2000. What happened in the year 2000? Hmm. Most people got a smartphone. Now, if there's any scientists here, I'm not saying it's causation. I'm saying it's correlation. And we have to start figuring out what the correlation is and whether there is causation there. Because you don't have to not use technology. Technology is awesome. My iPad, smartphone, Samsung watch, <laughs> laptop, if I did not have those, I would not be on time to anything ever. <laughs> and I would never pay my bills. But... Um, but again, we don't actually, we're just beginning to touch the surface of how that affects us as human beings. Let me tell you about a study that they did in Britain, because this is like, for me, mind blown. Okay, so they studied pairs of people, they brought strangers in and had them talk to each other in a room. And they did this over and over and over and mixed up the pairs, they did it for month after month after month. And they discovered that when they brought in a cell phone and they just set it on a table in the room, even if it belonged to neither of the people talking. Those two people came out of that conversation and both, they were 65% more likely to report that the other person was untrustworthy, not empathetic, and unlikable. Just with a cell phone somewhere in the room that didn't belong to them. Now, how many of you, when you go to lunch with a friend, leave your cell phone on the table? Come on, you know you do. You take it out of your pocket and you set it on the table. Stop doing that. <laughs> Put it away. Because none of those people were conscious that that was the effect that was happening inside their brain. But it is. You may have seen this because it made big headlines. Harvard recently completed a study. And when I say recent, I think that it ended in like 2013. Um, in which they discovered that talking about yourself stimulates the same pleasure centers in your brain as sex, heroin, and cocaine. So you know those lab rat tests where they show the labs and the, the rats and they like get a pleasurable sensation and so they're sitting there at the bat and going. So we're doing that. We're talking about ourselves all the time and it's hitting a pleasurable center. Now why is that a reality check? It's because you're going to leave a conversation and you're going to feel awesome about it. <laughs> But the other person that was in that conversation with you is like, what the actual F? That person never stopped talking about themselves. 
but you feel like you just took a huge snort of cocaine. You're like, man. And this also occurs in job interviews. We've discovered that people who are interviewing applicants sometimes spend more than half the time talking about themselves. And look, it helps the applicant because the, per the, the, the person walks away from the interview going, dang, I feel great. But the applicant's sitting there going, and if you're competing for the best talent, probably not the best way to do that. But it's the same thing the other way. If you're applying for a job and you, you feel like you did great, and then later you didn't get the job and you wonder why, that may be why. Because there's a huge difference between the perception and the reality of how that conversation went. Start noticing how much you talk about yourself. I'm not saying stop doing it, because that's impossible. I'm just saying start taking note as you're talking. Because one thing that they have discovered is that we talk about ourselves at least 60% of the time. Maybe 60% doesn't sound like a huge amount to you, but you have to remember that that 40% is everything else. Your car, your job, your dog, the other person standing in front of you. Everything else in the world is in the 40%, and the 60% is you and how you're feeling. Just something to take note of because it, it turns people off. And the, the one step that I especially wanted to focus on, besides listening, is I talk about not equating your experience with other people's. And this is the number one thing that I get pushback on. People have a really rough time with this. And what I mean by this is that somebody will be saying, oh, I lost my dad. My dad died over the weekend. And they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I lost my dad two years ago, and that was really rough. You know, he died of cancer. Now, I'm no psychologist. <laughs> I think that most of us do that out of really good intentions. I do. I think most of us think that that's showing empathy, that it's showing that you have a similar shared experience, and that you're trying to bond, but that's not how it works. 999 times out of 1,000, that is not how it works for the other person. Why? because your experience is not the same as theirs. Losing your dad is not the same as them losing their dad. They are a completely different person in a completely different place in life. And number two, you're just drawing focus onto yourself. This person who's struggling now has to say to you, oh, I'm so sorry. Why, why would you want them to be forced to, sh to reach out to you when they've just reached out to you with pain? And I totally get that it's almost always well-intentioned but you're actually demanding something of them instead of giving to them in that moment. The best possible thing you can do is ask them how it is. They've reached out to you and they've told you that they lost someone, so let them tell you. That's what that moment is for. And I know it's really tough. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why people have so much, such a hard time letting go of this is for what I alluded to earlier, because telling that story about yourself is not only cathartic, but you're yet again slamming your finger on that button of cocaine and sex. <laughs> a great reminder about the power of listening. Celeste Headley continues her work in media as a writer, journalist, and speaker. Her latest book is called It Starts With Self-Compassion, and she is the founder and president of Headway DEI Training. Keep up with Celeste at CelesteHeadley.com, and there's a link to that in the show notes for the episode.
Now, I don't know about you, but I just finished off that toast I made earlier, and it is time to wash it down with a nice beverage. So, go grab yourself one, too. This is Wake Up and Create. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. A landscape unlike any other, Georgia's coast is home to vital communities and people from all walks of life fighting to protect it. Help keep Georgia's coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hosting this episode of Wake Up and Create, I'm Mark Kendall. Before the break, Celeste Headley mentioned that being able to talk about yourself doesn't necessarily make you a good conversationalist. For our next speaker, the way he talked about the work he was doing became something he wasn't very comfortable with. So he decided to make some changes. Here's photographer Zach Arias. This morning I wanted to talk about um, honesty, uh, and being authentic with who you are, uh, both with yourself, uh, second, with, within your own industry, um, and then with your clients as well. And I want to tell a few stories about when I got started and how I was communicating about what I did and, and the work I was doing and the kind of sea change that, that I had to make in my life before things really started to happen for me. So if I would have walked in here uh, somewhere around 2000, 2001, so somewhere around 10 or 11 years ago, and we we're sitting outside having a you know, cup of coffee and chatting, and you say, okay, Zach, what do you do? Well, uh, I'm a photographer, and um, I shoot uh, assignments for the New York Times and the Washington Post and Chicago Tribune. Awesome, right? You know? Uh, well, what do you shoot? Well, I shoot for their internet verticals and um, do like kind of online advertising. And remember, this is like early 2000s, so the internet was still kind of cool. Um, and not the pain that it is now to some of our lives. But um, wow, you're, you're shooting for the, you know, advertising on the internet, the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post. This is really fantastic. In honesty, what I was shooting were apartments for apartments.com. Now, apartments.com was owned by a company called Classified Ventures. Great company, fantastic company. Classified Ventures was this joint company owned by the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, Washington Post, Knight Ritter, Gannett. All right? Now, my personal goal of what I wanted to do as a photographer was not to shoot apartment complexes. 
All right, that's not what I went to school for. That was not, you know, I didn't get Richard Avedon's coffee table book of apartments. <laughs> right? I wanted to do real photography. I wanted to do important photography. I wanted, I wanted to, to make pictures that hung on walls that people walked into with a glass of wine in their hand. I was like, oh, wow. And it wasn't apartment buildings and exercise rooms and clubhouses and. There's nothing like taking a 360-degree virtual tour of a pool in Midland, Texas, in January. <laughs> That's you know here I am. This is my job. But if I when I went out in the world, when I got on photography forums and I was speaking with other photographers, when、um, I was still trying to get my freelance career going, I was trying to get out of apartments and get into editorial and commercial photography. What do you do? I shoot internet advertising for the New York Times and Washington Post and Chicago Tribune, you know. And every now and then, it'd be, oh, do you know、uh, Sally so and so over? No, I, we're in a different building. <laughs> I see somebody. I gotta go. All right. There's in the in the creative industry. There's this there's this weird balance that we have as creatives. Of we have to go out into the world. We have to have a certain amount of、uh, confidence in what we do. But what I see so much, and what I was so guilty of, and what I see so much of today, is that we go out into the world and we make this very large projection of ourselves. I'm just going to talk about the struggle, and I'm not even going to give you like, here's a struggle and here's how to fix it. No, here's a struggle. That sucks. How do I fix it? Keep going. I don't know. So I made this little video. I, I'm. I just wanted to be honest with people. You know, I didn't want to just go and position myself and go, "Hey, I fart rainbows."、Um, and I, I thought maybe ten people would get it. Ten people would would see what I was doing. Really, I wanted. I wanted to make something for my wife. I wanted, I wanted to make something, you know, that she would like. I mean, she likes my photography. She supports my photography, but I, I wanted to make that for her something that's cooler than what I normally do.、Um, and the response to that video was insane.、Um, it got on Kelby's blog. There's currently 500 something comments on that blog post. There's over 900 comments on my blog post about that video. It still gets tweeted 10 times a week, and it's been three years now. I was this little blip off on the edge, and instead of taking this platform and projecting myself as "Hey," I wanted to just go, "Huh? Hi, I'm Zach. I'm struggling. It's hard. It's tough. Just keep going." When it's dark and depressing and everything sucks and you hate everything about what you're doing, make something, create something, share it with people, be honest, and and it's amazing how much things start to open up for you. Be honest, create, and share. Great advice. Zach Arias is an editorial and commercial photographer based in Atlanta. Check out his work at zacharias.com. The link is in our show notes. Similar to how Zach didn't like the way he was presenting himself as a photographer, 
Our last speaker for this episode emphasizes how important it is to represent yourself truthfully. Listen as facilitator, spiritual director, and author Bethany Wilkinson explains why sharing your truth is so important. True belonging is only possible when we are honest about who we really are. I'll say that one more time. True belonging is only possible when we are honest about who we really are. Now here's an experience that's likely familiar to many of you. You show up to a new community. This could be a faith community, a creative community, a work community, and you are so excited about all of the new relationships you get to form. You're thinking about the adventures you're going to go on. You're thinking about the work you're going to be able to do with these people. You're thinking about the parties you're going to throw. And you're really excited because you feel like you have so much in common with everyone who is around you. But then over time, as you're with these people for the long haul, stress happens or disappointments happen or tragedy strikes. And it's in those moments where all of your differences start to emerge and conflict happens. And it's at that point that we all have a choice to make. We can quit, we can hide, or we can find ways to show up and tell the truth about our experiences. You can never control if or how people are going to receive you when you show up and tell the truth about who you are. Sometimes it actually goes horribly wrong and it means the end of relationship, the end of community. And it's so painful. And all you can do is go through it. Go to the counselor, go to the friends, find the safe places. But once you go on that process of healing and transformation, try again. Because it's the work that we can do together that will actually heal our world. True belonging is only possible when we are honest about who we really are. So when the honeymoon phase ends and when conflict happens, because it absolutely will, be who you are and show up as who you really are and keep going. Absolutely be who you are because the real you is awesome. Bethany Wilkinson is the author of The Diversity Gap, host of the podcast and blog A More Beautiful Way, and hosts events she calls Soul Care Experiences. You can learn more about her at bethanywilkinson.com. The link is in our show notes. While each of the speakers you heard today approached conversation differently, they all explained an important aspect of what makes for good conversation. For Celeste Headley, that's listening and not inserting yourself into conversation unnecessarily. For Zach Arias, it is resisting the urge to project a larger-than-life image of yourself into the world. And for Bethany Wilkinson, it's sharing your truth in order to achieve true belonging. Think about a person you love to have conversations with. What makes those conversations so enjoyable? What can you do to make sure that you're being true to yourself and to others? How can having a meaningful conversation improve your day or even the creative project that you're working on? This is Wake Up and Create. Thank you for listening. I'm Mark Kendall. Wake Up and Create is a co-production of WABE and Creative Mornings Atlanta. To listen to any of these talks in full and to experience Creative Mornings Atlanta live, visit creativemornings.com slash ATL. For podcast show notes and links, visit wabe.org slash wakeupandcreate. Our executive producers are Amina Brown and Celeste Debro. Additional production from Kevin Rinker and Scotty Crow. Original music from Matt Owen. Basketball consulting from LeBron James. I'm just joking. That's just a little joke in case you listened to the end. And if you did, I thank you.
WABE. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E.